Hi, I'm Dr. Olga Pinkston, a board-certified rheumatologist and the host of the Mind Your Fiber podcast. This podcast is dedicated to fibromyalgia. I discuss up-to-date information about fibro, its treatment, the biology and psychology of the fibromyalgia. I cover the pain science education, the complementary and alternative methods available to you now to improve your symptoms. There are a lot of things that influence development of fibromyalgia trigger fiber flares, and produce other symptoms like IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, depression, and anxiety, and none of them are your fault. In the Mind Your Fiber podcast, you will learn how and why fiber develops, how chronic pain changes your brain, and most importantly, that you're not alone in the struggle, that fiber is real, and how to not let fiber control your life. This podcast provides information only and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. Well, welcome to Mind Your Fiber Podcast, episode 30. Today, we're talking about relationships. Believe it or not, relationships come up a lot in my rheumatology office. A chronic condition or chronic pain is a major life stressor, affecting not only the patient, but everyone around them, from family and friends to co-workers to even doctors. If you're a family member, a spouse or partner, a child or a parent, a friend or co-worker, or someone diagnosed with fibromyalgia or any other chronic condition, thank you for listening. I will talk to you later in this episode, so please stick around. If you're new to this podcast, welcome, and thank you for taking your time to support someone with fibromyalgia. This small task of listening to a short podcast episode likely means a lot to the person in your life who has fibro, a little gesture of love and support and a sign of acknowledgement. So thank you. If you are in an abusive relationship or a victim of domestic violence, I am so sorry. Please get help. Look for local resources, as I know many of you listen from various global locations. And I will also put some links in the show notes. Please know that there is an association between a history of intimate partner violence domestic or childhood abuse, adverse childhood experiences or trauma, and the development of functional syndromes, including fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. This episode may be triggering or, as I prefer to say, can negatively activate your nervous system. So please be aware and pause when you need, seek help and support, and do self-care. I am only providing information and I cannot help you with specific problem or provide advice. The effects of living with chronic illness do not happen in isolation. Although often the patients feel unsupported or unloved, misunderstood, or feel like they carry all the pain and suffering alone. It is easier to live through or support someone with acute illness, something short, like the flu or sprained ankle. The patient knows there is an end to it. It will pass in due time. And the people in your life know what to do in the situation. They may offer support like a pot of chicken soup or a meal, a remedy, or let you sleep extra while they help with household chores. How we act when we are ill or how we support others in such typical situations as the flu was modeled to us through childhood, and our brains know what to do. In my family, the flu will get you chicken soup, a hot tea with honey, raspberries, and lemon, and lots of rest. 
When my kids see a pot of tea with lemon raspberries and honey, they know someone in our home is not feeling well. It is now a visual clue, an association of the acute illness that will get better in a short time and hot tea. We all know it's miraculous. If you look at your life, you will probably find many associations like that. So from the remedies we use for menstrual cramps, to migraines, to hangovers, to cuts and sprains. Someone in our life has taught us how to kiss boo-boos and show support when someone is ill. However, not many of us know what to do when you or someone is ill for a long time. Having a chronic illness that may never go away affects not just the patient, but everyone to some degree around them. And we often are not taught or have experience of how to be that patient with chronic illness or how to care or live with someone who has it. There is no pharmacology one-on-one course in grade school to prepare you for this condition and no orientation for family to know what to do when the patient has an illness that may span a lifetime. So in this episode, I want to examine how we and our human brains deal with chronic illness, how to support each other in this journey from the perspective of the patient and their close relationships. Let's first talk about the stress of chronic illness a condition that lasts a long time, often for a year or more. Your sources of stress may be numerous. The chronic illness itself, the symptoms, the management of it, the actual treatment, but also the uncertainty about your future, the unpredictability of the disease, the disability or changes in your abilities, both physical and mental, and financial complexities. You may feel not understood, thinking that other people may not believe that you're ill or may not understand the seriousness of your condition. Well, you don't look sick, they say. Limitations and unpredictability of symptoms can make it challenging to maintain relationships, not participating in activity because of a flare or leaving early because of sensory overwhelm. Some relationships may be lost, while others will be redefined over time. There may be fears of dependency or abandonment. You may worry about losing your ability to care for yourself or fear that others you depend on will leave you. Isolation is a thing. Many feel a sense of isolation either because of their spending more time alone or because of feeling different from other people. Also add guilt to the mix. Many blame themselves for getting sick or not contributing to family or society. These may be real or perceived difficulties, but they drive many thoughts about your past, present, and future. Your thoughts about your condition will drive your feelings. Chronic illness and chronic stress are emotional experiences with many feelings such as anxiety, panic, depression, sadness, denial, rage, fear, grief, irritability, guilt, shame, feeling unworthy, overwhelmed, or confused. Often patients ride a roller coaster of emotions, both positive and negative, some days feeling empowered and some days defeated. These emotions drive your actions, how you cope with your illness and deal with yourself and others. The empowering feelings lead you to better self-advocacy, management of medications or appointments, and better self-care 
like diet and exercise. The negative emotions will result in different actions. Feeling of hopelessness, for example, may result in stopping all medications, quitting diets or isolation. The feeling, loss of hope, drives the action, not the illness itself. Your actions will produce results, but the results are always driven by the thoughts, not by the actions. So the thoughts produce feelings that create actions that lead to results. You can always look at your results and find the thoughts and feelings that drove you to them. This will also find the way you deal with others, like family, friends, or even doctors. When I was at the Mayo Clinic Rheumatology Fellowship training, I had two types of patients who were recently diagnosed with fibromyalgia. They both had the same diagnosis, fibromyalgia, and other conditions were ruled out. The clinic was often their second or third or fourth opinion. One set of patients, when they were given the diagnosis, felt relieved, even blessed. They were relieved they did not have lupus or other autoimmune condition, infection, or cancer. The other category was mad, clearly upset they did not have the lupus or array or something more tangible. So the circumstance was the same, a new diagnosis of fibromyalgia, but the thoughts were different. One patient thought it was the best news ever, the best outcome of the workup, and the answer was acceptable. They had fibro. That led them to feeling relieved, blessed, resulting in positive actions. The other person's thought about fibro were, this is not real. They must not know what, what I have. This is a trash diagnosis. I can't believe I came all the way to Mayo Clinic to, for them to tell me this nonsense. I know what to do if I have lupus. There's treatment, but what do I do with fibro? I heard all of this and more from my many patients. Not unique and totally understandable. But these thoughts led to feeling of anger, disbelief, and frustration. And the actions would probably lead them to seek yet another opinion and not treating fibro, lashing out. So the circumstance of a new diagnosis of fibromyalgia, but different thoughts about it that lead to different feelings, producing different actions and results. So I want you, the patient, to take a pause and examine your thoughts about fibromyalgia or whatever chronic condition you may have. What thoughts do you have or had about fibromyalgia? Can you identify your feelings, your actions, your results? This exercise will help you identify your attitude, coping methods, and adherence to treatment. Now you may have conflicting thoughts about the same circumstance, fibromyalgia, on different days or even different times of the day. Write them down, look at them, and try to identify the feelings these thoughts produce, what actions you take, and what results you see after. Now I invite you to look at your childhood and later life experiences and think how the people who were close to you, your family, relatives, friends, teachers, or co-workers dealt with a short-term or longer-term illness or stress. Did you have a ritual like chicken soup or special remedy when you were when you had a cold or flu? Did you rush to emergency room for every sprain or illness? Did your parents hover over you, worrying or catastrophizing, or maybe in the opposite, ignoring or even neglecting your needs? Did you feel safe? Did you feel loved? Did you feel supported and understood? 
Now, this exercise can be activating to your nervous system, and you may need to pause and process these emotions. Patients who have chronic pain, autoimmune conditions, or fibromyalgia often have history of adverse childhood experiences or trauma, difficult or scary experiences that were overwhelming, upsetting, or left them feeling helpless. Not all overwhelming or life-threatening experiences are considered traumatic, and everyone interprets these experiences differently. A life experience that is traumatic or stressful for one might not be traumatic or stressful for another. We're talking about experiences that negatively activate your nervous system. Now, I will devote future episodes to adverse experiences and trauma, but for now, you may want to acknowledge that many of our behaviors, thoughts, and beliefs come from our prior experiences, both positive and negative experiences, as well as our relationships with others. Our nervous system was designed to be in relationship with others, and co-regulation with others is part of healing. We need a tribe. Now, this is a complex topic, and it will be discussed in future episodes as well. But your experiences may lead you to be perfectionistic, have all-or-nothing mentality, or become codependent or people-pleasing. You may play a role of a rescuer or want to be rescued, often rooted in the deep discomfort with having a discomfort, your own or that of others. You may have a manual of how you want others to act around you and your illness. A manual is an instruction guide we have for someone in our lives about how we would like for them to behave so we can feel good and be happy. We generally don't tell the other person what's in our manual, and we usually don't even realize we have it or see the pain it causes us. We feel that the other person should just know what to do and how to treat us. While it may seem justified to have expectations of other people, it can be quite damaging when your emotional happiness is directly tied to them behaving in a certain way. This manual also ties to the love languages or how we show affection and perceive affection. According to Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the book, The Five Love Languages, there are five love languages. Our love languages describe how we give and receive love from others. For someone, feeling loved will be by hearing the words of affirmation, hearing supportive or loving words or words of encouragement from others, in person, by a phone call, letter, card, or Facebook message. For others, it may be the acts of service when others do helpful things for you. Someone will feel loved by receiving gifts. Gifts will tell you you're being thought about and you feel loved by getting care packages, flowers, or food. Other people may feel loved when they receive quality time, when someone spends meaningful time with them, visits them, or goes to the doctors together. Or it may be a physical touch, being close to or caressed by others, getting hugs and kisses. So you see there are many languages of love, and you and people around you may speak a different love language. You may only feel loved when someone does acts of service for you, doing helpful things, like taking your car to the service or doing dishes, while your partner shows his love by by giving gifts, buying you yet another blanket or a food massager. So to summarize, 
You have thoughts, beliefs, and feelings about your illness. It is totally normal, but not often thought about. You also behave and expect others to behave around you according to your prior experiences, your thoughts and feelings. Again, normal and expected. But we often don't take time to think about it, or thinking about it may be upsetting. You have expectations of support and love, and the love language that you have that speaks to you. You may have a manual of how you want others to act around you and your illness. So you may want to take your time to think about the information provided and listen to this episode again a couple times, processing your thoughts, feelings, and actions, and working on adjusting them to get the results you want and need will be the goal for you, not the other people. I hate to break it to you, but we can't control others or change their thoughts, beliefs, and actions. Only they can. How you think about your illness, how you self-care, how you set up boundaries with others and deal with your thoughts and feelings will ultimately help you to find the power and focus on living, not merely surviving. Now, let's shift gears and talk about your support service. If you're a family member, a spouse or partner, a child or parent, a friend or co-worker of someone diagnosed with fibromyalgia or any other chronic condition, again, thank you for listening and thank you for your support. It takes two to tango. And our relationships involve other people. When someone has a chronic illness, there are two parties involved, the person with such illness and all the others, family, friends, loved ones, people of the inner circle, outside of the circle, doctors, co-workers, etc. In the first part of this episode, I spoke about the patient experience and how they are coping with stress and illness resulting from their thoughts and feelings. It may be the first time you hear about this, and it may be thought and feeling producing in you, activating your nervous system, or triggering you. It is not my intention to exacerbate any divide, but to actually bring you all closer. There should be no blame or shame, but it may be a conversation-provoking episode that improves your communication. Use this information with curiosity and kindness, respect and compassion. But for now, I want you to please focus on yourself, not the person who has fibro. First, I want you to know that the way you support others is the best way you know how. Just like the person who has fibromyalgia, you too have your story, your thoughts, and your feelings. You have your love language that you use when you show and receive love and affection. And it may be very different from the person you're trying to support. Serious illness puts pressure on most relationships. Very often, predictability is replaced with uncertainty. Stress is increased. Emotions are intensified. And many practical aspects of daily life are altered. If this is your spouse or partner, you too worry about the future, financial strain, caregiving or childcare responsibilities, extra household tasks, loss of a companionship, sexual difficulties, communication, and socializing. You may feel overwhelmed, uncertain, sad, and depressed with episodes of resentment and frustration. This is very normal. You may feel uncertain about how to help. This is also normal. A person who used to be healthy now has a lot less energy than before, is often in pain, has trouble thinking clearly, and finds themselves easily overwhelmed by stress or even 
by light or sound or your touch. Now, I will devote other episodes on practical aspects of adaptation, household tasks, finances, socializing, and other more physical relationship adjustments like sex and intimacy. But today, we're talking about your feelings and thoughts and about coping. Now, the beginning of the episode, I talked about how our thoughts and feelings drive our actions and how our past experiences, like childhood trauma or stressful events, affect our coping. Well, guess what? It does not only apply to the patient. I would recommend you listening to this episode a couple times. First, from the personal experience and perspective, and another time from the perspective of the patient with fibromyalgia. Probably you will see multiple points of view that you may not have thought of before. We all deal with illness differently. How do you, the family member or friend, cope with a short-term illness like flu or sprained ankle? How did your parents model you the care for yourself or others with an illness? What do you do? How do you feel being cared for? And how do you show you care when someone is sick? What is your love language to receive or show love? Is it by providing the words of affirmation, telling supportive or loving things to others? Do you show your love by acts of service, by doing helpful things that they did not ask for? Are you a giver of gifts? Do you feel compelled to send a card or flowers or bring a meal? Do you give them time by sitting with them, listening or sharing quality time? Or do you need to give them a physical touch, like hugs and kisses? You can probably easily identify your love language by thinking of the last birthday or Valentine's Day. What did you gift? Or what did you expect or want? Did the dinner and holding hands count? Or did you need a big gift to count? I can tell you my love language is cooking. I love to cook and feed people. So if you're ever in my house, I will feed you. That's my love language. Now, I feel loved when someone does the dishes after I cook. And if you scrub the pots, I will feel extra loved. If you are a parent or a partner of someone with chronic illness, your thoughts can be another source of stress. For example, you may have unrealistic expectations. If you believe you can protect the patient in your life from suffering, you may feel continually disappointed in yourself. If that's the case, you can reduce stress by changing your expectations, becoming aware of and changing the standards that you have for yourself to make them more realistic will reduce stress. If you hear yourself thinking with lots of I should or I could, you're beating yourself up and adding to the stress. Again, you may have a manual of how you or the patient needs to behave which may spill into what they should do about the treatment, attitude, lifestyle, self-care, etc. Now, I will devote future episodes to codependency. Codependency often have you channeling your energy into supporting the people in your life without making space for or even considering what you need for yourself. The main sign of codependency is consistently elevating the needs of others above your own. Now, this may be the actions of the patient or the person in their life or both. Codependency signs include controlling behaviors, self-sacrifice, or fear of rejection. Understanding what codependency really is and recognizing the signs of codependency in your behavior is an important first step towards building healthy boundaries and honoring your own needs. 
So the person who has fibro may get into the push and crash cycle. They push themselves to get things done for others, then crash in a flare, stirring up their feelings of regret, resentment, and anger, often feeling unappreciated and drained. Now, I touched on a lot of topics in this episode. I wanted for the patient and their support here both sides without splitting this episode. And I want to remind you that the mind and body are connected and mental health is as important as your physical health. I hope this episode is thought-provoking and a conversation starter with yourself and others. Look for help and resources around you that may help you cope with your chronic illness, therapy, family and marriage counseling, life coaching, talking to friends, church family, etc. Building relationships in real life, not just a virtual life, is needed for healing. You need a tribe. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best thing you can do is to share with someone and leave a review and rating. This helps me support more people just like you move toward better life with fibromyalgia. All you have to do is to go to the platform you're listening on, click the share button or the icon, and just send it to a friend. I so appreciate you taking your time to do so. Make sure you sign up or subscribe to this podcast so you can get the most up-to-date information in the new episodes. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you next week. And don't forget to mind your fibro. Disclaimer, this podcast provides information only and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. None of the content on this podcast prevents, cures, or treats any medical or mental condition.